0: go to the book of Proverbs and chapter 1. Proverbs chapter number 1. and um, I'm going to deal with a passage of Scripture that I would candidly tell you is very startling in places. In fact, the first time I remember reading it and really focusing on the message that was being communicated... I was a little startled at how strong this was and and yet this is the words of the Lord penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by by of course the writer of Proverbs Solomon writing to his own sons and I think that often we get the idea that perfection is what is required for someone to be a good counselor <laughs> You know, there's two sides to that spectrum. I know people that feel like, well, if someone hasn't uh, been a uh, alcoholic, you can't help alcoholics. If you haven't been a drug addict, you can't help drug addicts. I know there are a lot of people that feel that way. Uh, there are those that think if you if you haven't had this issue or problem in your life, then then there's no way that you're going to know how to help those that do. Uh, there's the other side of that, and, and that is that um, you, you've safely avoided falling into that trap your entire life. So you're uniquely qualified to speak to how others can get out and stay out. And so everybody has their own idea about who might be equipped or qualified to give uh, life lessons. And uh, one thing that I've discovered is this, that if we want to set out as the qualification perfection, that you haven't had any issues in your life, there aren't ever going to be any people giving counsel because no one can fill the bill on that point. The only one is God. And so we have to go to the Word if if that's our concern. But I want to just simply say to you that it's kind of enigmatic in the respect that here we find divine counsel from a very finite, very uh, troubled King named Solomon, who made just about every uh, poor choice, bad decision that a person could ever make. And some people would say, why is he writing a book to his sons? Well, because he realized that there are only two ways in this life to learn the lessons that would give us divine instruction, and one is to learn from those who have already fallen into the pit of despair and to understand uh, what befell them and how to avoid that. And the other is to make all the mistakes your own self. And, uh, and you know, life is too short uh, to go around trying to make all the mistakes yourself. It would be a lot easier if he would just learn uh, the wisdom that was obtained by those who had made devastating choices and now are seeking to help those that have not yet tread that part of the pathway just yet. And as a father, I get that. Um, I have children coming up behind me that haven't set their feet on certain parts of the pathway that are well-worn by me. And I've suffered on those parts of the pathway, and I love those kids way too much to want them to have to make the poor decisions that their daddy made I'd rather that they learn from my bad decisions and avoid the pitfalls that characterize that part of the pathway of life. And that was in the heart of Solomon as he chose to write. You see, he was the classic example of someone who shunned most of the good counsel that he received in his life. And yet here he's writing to his sons that they not follow that pathway themselves. And the ones that I'm talking to tonight that have made mistakes, is that you? You made mistakes in your life? Um, I know I have. We have a duty to put up the roadblocks to assist those that are coming behind us, that they might avoid those same pitfalls. And I believe tonight here we see the words of instruction to children. Written by a dad who'd made many of the mistakes that he's warning them about. And as we get down in this passage, I'm just going to say, he's writing as the amanuensis, the, the, the vehicle through which God is giving us His Word as a divine, heavenly Father to we, the sons of men, so that we might be delivered from ultimate destruction. And the words of the Lord here, I'm just going to warn you, they're startling. They're powerful. And indeed, they can be off-putting. But let me say that often that's precisely what we need to understand the seriousness of this matter. I know many people who they just they play church and they trifle with God and they 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 just trivialize the things of the Lord and they can take it or they can leave it. And my friends, this is written in such a way that we have to lay a hold of it and understand the seriousness of it. And so the Lord gives some very serious uh, words that we must consider. And I want us to begin... In verse number one, and we're going to deal with this whole chapter. So I'm just going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to jump right in up to our next and see where the Lord leads us with this. In verse number one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple. To the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. And forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their Own lives, so are the ways of every one that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without; she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying. And here we we find the word of a divine father. How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, And no man regarded, but ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish "...cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices, for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Lord, help us as we study this, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. As we see the words of instruction, divine counsel given under the inspiration of God Himself through the instrument named Solomon to His own sons, there's a message that all of us must learn from this. We must receive the divine counsel. And the truth is that as difficult as this latter half of this chapter is to hear. It is not what the Lord wants to visit upon any person. It's what He wants to deliver them from. He wants them to dwell safely and to be quiet from the fear of evil. That's His desire. But there is a consequence for sin. And so as we begin this, we find that Solomon is writing and we see the challenge first of all to regard the fathers counsel to regard the fathers counsel I want to just simply say that there are many children that look at their parents and they feel like you know they grew up in the dark ages and and uh, they don't even they didn't even have the internet and what did they know about anything and and uh, they, you know, they, don't, they, they don't even look at anime, they, they don't know what's cool in this world today, they can't even call the names of any uh, modern day superstars in, in TV and movie or music, and we think that, uh, you know what, uh, they're just uh, OGs, they're old guys, they don't know anything, what do they know? And sometimes it's easy to get this idea that because someone grew up in a different generation that they really don't know anything. And sometimes when they do give us counsel, we sort of take it with a grain of salt. We feel like we can sort of take it or we can leave it. And sometimes we just do lip service and ear service to to them. But the truth is that God is calling us to listen to the divine counsel that's given here and recognize that it is transcendent of every age. And by the way, I just want to simply say I was uh, talking to some folks Uh, yesterday and again today about all of the developments technologically that we've had in our world, and whether you want to really accept this or not, I do not believe that it has had an overall net positive effect on the morals and values in our world. In fact, I believe that it has proven to really degrade all that was good about our culture we have lost the ability to interact and to, uh, to, to sit down and have meaningful conversations people don't read anymore the average uh, adult in our country today will not in the duration of their life read a book from beginning beginning to end the average adult in America will never read a book in their lifetime uh, once they become adults You think on that for a minute. Uh, People, they'll read articles, they'll check sports scores, they'll look on the internet, they'll check the weather. But you know what? We just come to the place where our lives are so filled up with information and things that we don't have time to sit down and read. And sad to say, but it's true, that that goes for the Bible as well. There are many people uh, that will never sit down and read the Bible. And uh, and I believe that uh, part of that is attributable to the flood and the glut of information through the internet. Uh, we find that there are those who uh, once had some sort of a moral code about how they were going to discuss uh, people and situations, and all of that goes out the window with social media, and people get begin to write things electronically that they would never dream of saying to someone's face, and they commit... Character assassination over and over again, all day, every day, and consequently, it has contributed to the, uh, to the meteoric rise in uh, suicides in teenagers and young adults the world over. And that's a consequence of internet and cyberbullying. Folks, I just want to tell you, for as much as your parents and your grandparents grew up in a time without the internet, the world was a lot better off then than it is now, The fact that you are connected to electronics 24 hours a day is turning your brain to mush. You're losing the ability to reason things out. You're losing the ability to think because everyone is telling you what to think. You're losing that ability. And the fact of the matter is that sometimes there are those that we look at that God has brought into our life that are trying to help us but because we don't think that they're cosmopolitan or intellectual or they're not uh, hip or cool or whatever the term du jour is, that you want to, uh, uh, they're not woke, all right, or they're not politically correct, uh, you want to set that council aside because you don't think that they know anything. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If there were to be an electromagnetic pulse attack on America and we didn't have any internet and we didn't have the use of all of the uh, the electronic and electric devices that exist in our day and it was just up to uh, you to try to make your way and forage for food. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I think all of a sudden you would discover that many of the people that you thought were not too wise become the smartest people that you've ever met. The fact is that, You might think that because you are woke and you have the internet, that that that's going to be a good thing for you. There are a lot of young people that want to get everything that they get off the internet. You know, they have a problem, they want to Google the answer. You know, they don't know something on their homework. Man, let's Google the answer. Let's ask Alexa. And uh, even the commercials are orienting us that what do we need a book for? We just ask Alexa, they'll give us the answer. Folks, listen, there is a monopolization of the World Wide Web on the part of just a few major companies that are in the tank for the humanistic and liberal movement that would more than anything like to control the thinking of young people who seek the Internet 24 hours a day. Do you realize that the average young person is connected to the Internet 24 hours a day, there's never a time they turn that phone off or that device off, that tablet off, or, uh, or whatever the device is that, they, that they're using, and uh, even in the middle of the night, they they listen for updates on their feeds on Instagram or MySpace or on on uh, Facebook or, or or on their Twitter feed or whatever it is today and uh, or, or maybe on TikTok and the fact is that they're listening for it and if it comes in at two in the morning they're they're right awake and they're and look it's no wonder that we're seeing a lowering of the curve in uh, academic. Uh, uh, academic excellence among young people in our society today, and then we take kids out of school for a whole year, and, and we just hope that it doesn't have a negative effect upon uh, on on how well this generation is going to do going forward in, in academics. And unfortunately, what we just do is that we, we lower the standard to to kind of mollify those that are worried about it. And then we say, see, we're doing a great job. These kids are getting straight A's. But you know what? You've lowered the standard. They've learned less, and we've given them credit for more. And the fact is that many of those people are like the adults that are graduating college today that have been tested, and they would not be able to pass the 8th grade entrance examination from 1950. There are many college graduates that have then tested with the entrance exam to the 8th grade in the public school system from 1950, and they could not pass it. Folks, they don't know how to spell without a spell checker. But you know what, listen, you get somebody that went through school and worked hard and loved Jesus and tried to maintain their life and raise their family, love and honor God, and have them stand to give the testimony, we think, oh, what do they know about anything? Well, the fact is they know a great deal about how it is to live a life and to deal with the issues of life from uh, an organic perspective and deal with all of the struggles of life. And yet what I'm finding is there are many that refuse to regard the Father's counsel. The call to knowledge begins not with a great computer, not with a good professor or a therapist, or with a philosopher. The call to knowledge and understanding, it begins and ends with God. Because... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And folks, it begins with the conviction and the belief that there is a God. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, in other words, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So. I've heard people give testimonies and where they've looked out into the heavens and they've said, God, if there is a God, if there is a God, then, you know, show me and show me yourself. And then they claim that is somehow the time where they accepted the Lord as Savior. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's not a conversion. That's a query. All right? You're saying, is there a God? You don't know. Listen, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You have to know. And you have to believe that his word reveals him to you so that you can trust him and so all knowledge and understanding begins and ends with God who is the author and the finisher of our faith and what we discover is this that the Bible says my son hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother though they be not woke. <laughs> though they be not politically correct, though they be not hip, though they be not fly, whatever the whatever the term de jure is, if they know God, they know more than everybody in the world put together that you think is woke, my friend, today God is looking for a for a man, is looking for a woman that would simply live their life according to thus saith the Lord. And if the internet went down and never came up again, their life would be undeterred. Their spirit would be unflappable because they were rooted and grounded in the truth of the Word of God. It says, Forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. Do You know what? There, there will be an honor there will be a dignity that comes to the life that's lived for God. It's not arrogance. It's just a humble dignity and an honor that God bestows upon those that recognize they don't know everything. They're not going to know everything. And that God has placed some people in their life to help guide them right. And if they would simply listen, there's an honor bestowed. There's a grace about them that is evident on their countenance. I've remarked to my children that over the years of watching them come up and go to school, often with some of the same kids, how that year after year we see changes, not only in our kids, but in the kids that they have they've gone to school with. Those that were once very, very um, honorable and very polite and very engaging and and uh, would come and shake your hand and look you in the eye and address you in terms of respect and now they, they can't even look you in the eye. Now they're kind of shifty and, and now they're wanting to work in the shadows and talk late at night on the internet and all of a sudden the countenance has changed. Somehow the the grace isn't upon their countenance and, and what we find is that there's not a chain of honor about their neck. It's just want dishonor. They've not regarded the Father's counsel. But what does the Father say? He begins in verse 10 by saying, My son, if sinners entice thee, Consent thou not. And what he's saying is, Son, I love you too much to see you go down the pathway of destruction with the wrong kind of friends. To the young people that are watching me right now, to the mamas and daddies and grandmas and granddads that struggle over the issue of who our kids should hang with, understand that we have a duty to warn our children and our grandchildren about the perils of hanging out with and being friends with those that the Bible would consider as fools. I believe that the call here is not only to regard the Father's counsel, but to reject foolish companions. The Bible teaches us in the epistle to the Corinthians in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 to... Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. We don't have anything as believers in common with them. And there are those that will try to draw you away with the concerns and the benefits perceived that might be found in this world, whether they be material or financial in their nature. And in this, we find those people that want to and snare young men and women by drawing them away into a career or into a lifestyle. And folks, there's nothing wrong with pursuing a good career unless your pursuit of that career is to make a name for you and to build up resources that you can hoard for me, myself, and I. And I just want you to know candidly, that's what most people are doing. And I want to tell you that that is... In its end, something that will bring you no fulfillment, It'll bring you no fuf- fulfillment. I, uh, I'll just tell you that today I was talking to uh, one of our members who had uh, had a service person come to do work in their home. They had a chance to witness to them, and the person that was doing some maintenance in that home began to open up to our uh, to one of our. Uh, Dear members about some of the issues of their life and 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 confessed the only reason why I'm staying with my wife is because of the kids. If we didn't have the kids, we'd have separated a long time ago. And you know I, I just want to say that I'm glad that they they didn't dump on the kids, but you know there's no joy in that journey. There's no joy in that household. They're just going along to get along to keep the peace. There's no fulfillment there. There's no view of a happily ever after on the horizon. Oh, but they have a house. They have money. And sometimes we think if I have the house and I have the money, that I'm good to go. I often talk to my own father who had plans in retirement to do some traveling and to go to the mission field and to be involved in the work of the Lord, but also do some things with my mom. And they planned that whole thing out until one day my mom got in the car and was going to go to the grocery store that was just a mile and a half away. And a half hour later, she called my dad crying and said, Larry... I don't know where I'm at. You've got to come and get me. She'd been to the grocery store a thousand times. And she was as lost as she could be. The diagnosis came back as Alzheimer's. You know, at that point, all the plans in the world weren't going to come to pass. All the things that had been considered as what they might do weren't going to come to pass as they had planned. And so, listen, what I want to tell you is that no amount of money in the world could have changed that. God is a sovereign God and He was good and He was gracious in their lives. And I'm grateful to have had parents that loved and honored God. But I want to just simply say to you that there are people that will try to convince you that if you have financial security and a good career, a good good home, uh, with lots of equity that You will have arrived in life. And my friends, there is no substantive evidence to support that theory. There are those that will draw you away from a commitment to God and to church. And they'll want you to go into a party lifestyle thinking that you know this is where the fun is the fun is in you know cracking open a cold one and hanging out with the buddies and shooting some pool and yucking it up and telling off-color jokes and and uh, and and looking immorally at members of the opposite sex and there are people that that feel drawn to that but my friend the end of that is heartache and grief and there are those that will gladly take you on that journey with them because, look, they're not happy in their heart, but always know that misery loves company. And they would love to have you share in the misery together with them because it makes them feel a little bit better about the choices that they have made, that they're not the only fool in the bunch. They lack the discernment to understand the harm that they're bringing upon themselves You see, the Bible says there in verse 17, Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, and they lay wait for their own blood. All of their plans and devices to try to get money, to have material things, to make a name, are in the end going to turn around and hurt themselves. You know, it's amazing, really. On any given day, you can look at the news, you could look at the the tabloids at the supermarket right there by the cash register, and you realize that they're writing about billionaires that are miserable. Shock pieces about people who are the most famous people in all the world, who have more money than they could ever spend in a lifetime, and they're in misery. They take their own life. Folks, uh, yesterday we read about the the owner and the CEO of Texas Roadhouse getting COVID. And he got over the, the disease, but the side effects were just too much for him. He had tinnitus so bad, the ringing in his ears was driving him nutty. And he took his own life. Here's a man that was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And all of that money and all that he invested himself in, in the end, couldn't get the ringing out of his ears. It took his life. There are those that will live for this life and what it has to offer. And the Bible says they lay way for their own blood. They don't understand the harm that they're doing themselves. And the charge is to stay entirely away From these, for the Bible says, "My son, walk not thou in the way with them; refrain thy foot from their path." I hear kids say, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm going, I'm only going with them so I can be a witness, or I'm only going so I can be the designated driver." No, you know, listen, stay altogether away from it. Now, look, be their friend, but not their companion. Give them good advice. Invite them to church. Draw them to the Savior. Share the Scripture with them. But folks, I'm, I'm going to tell you, they'll be like the ones that we read of in 1 Peter chapter 2 that think it's strange that you don't run to the same excess of riot with them. And because you don't, they make fun of you. And if they do that, let me just tell you, they're not really your friends. If you have to change who you are and what you do to be liked or accepted by them, then understand they are not your friend because they do not love you or even like you for who you are. They only like you for what they want you to be when you're with them. And that's not true friendship. That's deceit. Reject foolish companions. And then what we find in verse 20. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse. In the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth words, saying, How long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Verse 23 begins with this word. Turn. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. So God is giving them a word of warning. Why? Because He's angry? Because He doesn't like them? No, not at all. Because He loves them and He wants them to escape destruction. He wants them to avoid heartache. And so he's calling them to turn. Really, there's another word that we use for that. It's called repent, repent. Now, nowhere do we find the call to repent of every sin. Now, it's a wonderful thing. It's a nice concept. But I have never met the person that has done that. Have you? I've never met the person that said I've repented of all my sin and from that moment forward they never committed another one. Well, they say, well, you know, in the economy of God, I'm perfect and holy. Yeah, but you know what? In the economy of this world, you're pretty well not living up to who you claim to be, right? And so, look, there's no evidence that you've repented of all your sins. And if we try to make that as a qualification for being saved, we're in trouble, right? So, Listen, this is a call to repent of the faithless choices that have no dependence upon God and entirely a dependence upon me. There are many people that erroneously think, well, I've got myself into this mess, I've got to get myself out. Well, you know what? If it's up to you, you're in trouble. You're not getting out. You're going to hell. That's all there is to that. We've got to say, look, my way will never get me there. This pathway that I'm choosing to walk, it's never going to get me there. The Bible says, listen, broad is the the way and and, uh, wide is the gate and, and broad is the road that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life everlasting and few there be that find it. Understand that the way that God calls you to is not going to be the popular way. Because it doesn't put you in the driver's seat. It puts you in a place where you must trust God. You must trust in Christ. So the Father here, the voice of Father God is issuing a call to true repentance to Repent of your way and come to his way. It will ultimately deliver the child from total destruction. For those that will not listen, for those that will not regard the voice of God, and they they set it not the counsel of our Heavenly Father, the result is absolutely damning. For the Bible says, Because I have called and you have refused. Now, I want you to understand, God gave you a chance. He called out to you, and you rejected, you refused it. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. He said, listen, I'll rescue you. You think I'll make it to shore on my own. No man regarded. You have said it not all my counsel, and with none of my reproof. You didn't want to listen to anything I had to say. Then he said, I also will laugh, but not with you in your sin, but at the calamity that comes upon you. Because at that point, the love of God is not being poured out to you, but rather the wrath of God will abide upon you. And God said, I'll laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. Many of us saw the images of the terrible tornadoes that struck uh, the Southland and, and how that it tore through many communities, leaving homes just splinters nothing but a concrete foundation and in lives in, in, in absolute uh, destruction and, 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 and lives lost, people carried away by the winds. It came upon them suddenly. They had no help and no hope of escaping the destruction that came upon them like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. And when you come to that place of destruction, Here's what will happen, verse 28. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I have often said that Christians are the only people in the world that want to sow their wild oats And then pray for a crop failure. But God's Word will always be found true. You will reap what you have sown. And so, you'll eat of the fruit of your own way. And you'll have nobody to blame for it but yourself. If you go to hell, you'll have to crawl over an old rugged cross to get there. Because Jesus did everything. He said everything. He proved everything about how much He loved you and how much He wanted to save you. And you rejected His offer. You didn't regard the hand that He extended. You didn't listen to the voice that called you. When He waited for you early, you were not there. And so... They shall eat of the fruit of their own way. Be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them. And the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. There are those that are running after uh, prosperity, jobs, loving their career. And you know what? It's going to be their undoing in the end. It'll destroy you. For those that choose that over Christ and, and never come to to faith in Jesus, because after all, they have everything they want, they got a good job, a good income, they have a house, and and all of the things that they think that constitute a living, and my friend, in the end, it will not save you. But The good news is this, whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, this passage teaches us to regard the Father's counsel. Listen to it. To reject foolish companions that will lead us down the primrose path to destruction. To repent of faithless choices that... Depend upon me in my own way and the choices that I'm making for my life and not upon Almighty God. But would you see in the end that we can rejoice in the Father's compassion? He used stout words. And the reason why He did so is love. He did not want one of those that He loved created to suffer that destruction in a terrible place called hell. So He poured out His compassion and demonstrated here in a profound way His desire for His children to live a secure life, a fearless life, a quiet life, and a blessed life. You see, you'll dwell safely. You'll be quiet from fear fear of evil. The Lord wants you to have that blessed life. The only way that you can is His way. This is divine counsel. You don't have to Google this. All you have to do is seek God, not Google. Google. Here you'll find the divine counsel that will carry you in every generation. When they pull the plug on the internet, they censor your words and your thoughts. God's word will never change. Let's listen to divine counsel. Lord God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, dear God, that you have such compassion and love that you are speaking to us in a way that we cannot avoid. Lord, may we understand the perils that await when we reject your counsel. And Lord, may those who have listened, who have hearkened to the voice of God, set up roadblocks, and like Solomon of old, do everything in their power and means to try to guide their children, their children's children, to walk in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. If there are those that are hell bent on life of destruction walking on the pathway to hell I pray Lord that today they would turn at God's reproof turn away from their way and turn to the way the Lord Jesus Christ whom to know is life eternal Lord help us We need you. This we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. My friends, I want to just simply say I'm I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. And I love my children like you love yours. I love them enough to sometimes hazard speaking roughly. Not mean, not unkind, but in the bold enough terms that they will understand that the path that they have chosen it doesn't end well the most important thing that we can teach our children and our children's children is that the greatest decision that could ever be made is to take Jesus Christ to be your Savior from sin and from hell it's the greatest decision a person will ever make it's an eternal choice and may we understand that we have a duty to warn them. And so may we, even as Solomon was the oracle of the Lord to his own kids, be the oracle of the Lord to ours. We have a duty to tell them. If you're listening tonight and you don't know the Lord is Savior, you're not sure that you're on your way to heaven, understand this, God loves you so much He wants to spend forever in heaven with you. But what's standing in the way of that is our sinful condition. We've got to recognize that we're sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't make ourselves holy by self-effort. Even if we could try to clean up our act, we still have a history of sins past that can never be washed away. And we were born into this sin because we came from the bloodline of Adam. And so while we may be able to change what we do, we can never change who we are. That is sinners. And the Bible says there's a consequence for sin. The wages of sin is death. Death is separation. When my spirit and my soul are separated from my body, death occurs. And there's a second death that we deserve because of sin. It's also separation. But separation from God, who is in heaven, to be cast in what is known as the lake of fire. And the Bible calls that the second death. That's hell. and That's what we deserve because of our sin. The Bible says "But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so though we were deserving of separation from God in a place of suffering for sin called hell, Jesus took our punishment in His own body because of love and paid in full the price for every sin that you and I would ever commit in our lifetimes, thereby offering us forgiveness for sin and the hope of a life with Him forever in heaven. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God wants to offer you as a gift that forgiveness through His shed blood and that life with Him eternally in heaven. All we have to do is believe that He's the only way, the only hope that we have, and then receive the gift that He offers so freely of forgiveness and a home in heaven. And if you believe that, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, if you know that Jesus died for you, that he was buried, and that he rose again proving that he is Lord of all, and he offers you forgiveness and a home in heaven. If you believe that, if you believe that he's the only hope that you have of forgiveness and a home in heaven, and you have never asked him for his salvation, no, he said, whosoever, that's you, shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's asking in prayer, you shall be saved, that's a promise from a God that cannot lie. And if you would like to do that tonight, you can be forgiven now, you can be saved now. And know that whatever may befall you, that heaven is your eternal home, and that you are forgiven. If you desire to know that and you believe the gospel as I've shared it with you, I invite you to pray a simple prayer together with me. Now there's no magic words and my prayer cannot save you. But if these words reflect the desire of your heart, Pray them to God as your own prayer to Him and He will hear and He will answer your prayer. As I pray just now, pray together with me if you would. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I believe that Jesus died and was buried, that He rose again to give me this life. I'm now trusting in Jesus, and Jesus only, to be my Savior from sin. Thank You, O God, for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to now live for Thee. For this I pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, believing on the authority of God's word, you are saved. Heaven is yours. You are forgiven. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, all of your sins were yet in the future. And He took care of every single one in advance. And so you have life everlasting. And if you've made that decision, we want to invite you to give us a call. Send us an email. Let us know about your decision. So not only we can rejoice with you, but we can send you a gift. I want to send you a Bible. I want to give you some resources that will help you understand all that you have in Jesus Christ.